1: Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are now in September 2021. It is hard to believe how quickly this year has passed. It is moving quite along and we are encountering all kinds of things as we venture upon this journey of life. The last few years have been particularly different, tumultuous, challenging, constantly changing in the way that life always does. And it has made us all anchor more deeply into what we're trying to hold on to, what we're attached to, and really facing the emotions, the thoughts, the uh, ways of being that once were in trying to grip those and hold on to those and figure out who are we now, what is the new normal, and what direction do we take? So as we look at life and we look at the attachments that we have and the way that life flows, so often, you know, people want to go out and save the world. They want to change the world. They want to do something that affects large masses of people. And yet, why are we each given the life that we're given? We are placed in particular places, in certain families, in certain environments. And yet, all too often, because of conditioning, because of culture, um, because of peer pressure, or because of ambition, we try to leave those places that we currently are. But what if the life we are given is exactly what life wants us to partake of in order to help support the larger the divine plan. We're going to talk a little bit more about this today uh, in regard to a wonderful new book called The Book of Householder Cohen's: Waking Up in the Land of Attachments by Eve Marco and Wendy Nakau. And uh, it's a beautiful book. I definitely resonate very much with it. After having gone through a seven-year cycle myself, I've come to quite a few awarenesses that I've written about In my upcoming book, which is releasing in October, called Living, The Seven Blessings of Human Experience, and there was so much that was resonant in their book. So what constitutes a colon? What does this mean? Where does it come from? And what is the true meaning of a householder in these days and times? These are some of the things that we're going to explore over the next hour. My first guest is uh, Roshi Eve Marco, and she's the resident teacher at the Green River Zen Center in Massachusetts, and a founding teacher of the Zen Peacemaker Order. She co-founded Peacemaker Circle International with her husband, Bernie Glassman, linking and training spiritually-based peacemakers in the U.S., Europe, and the Middle East. My second guest is Roshi Wendy Nakao, and she is the Abbot Emeritus at the Zen Center of Los Angeles, having succeeded the late Roshi Bernie Glassman as the third Abbot. In 1999, she currently serves as ZCLA's head teacher and head priest, and she's ordained as a priest in 1983 and trained with her root teacher until his death in 1995. You can find out more about Eve at evemarco.com and more about Wendy at uh, www.zcla.org, and those links are in their bio descriptions on the show page. But without further ado, I'd like to welcome them both to 1111 Talk Radio Welcome, and I'd love for one of you to jump in and first help my listeners understand what constitutes a koan. Okay, I'll do that.
2: Uh, This is Eve Marco, and then Wendy can jump in, uh, because I'm sure she has a lot to say, too. So I think, you know, there's many meanings to the word koans. It comes from China from a millennium ago, and it kind of means public case, So what is that? What's a public case? Well, we have all kinds of personal situations in our life, and they all kind of feel very private, and we respond in our own personal ways, out of our attachment, out of our, you know, out of our conditioning. My child wakes up and wants to be fed. Somebody says something nasty to me. There's a red light when I need to rush home. So those are all private circumstances we all know, but there's something public about it. And the public about it is the universal, the, sometimes we call it the absolute. It's, in other words, we all, I I will function as as privately as Eve... In all these situations, but when I work with it as a co something else is demanded of me, and that is to look at it as we're all one body. So if I'm working and living and functioning out of the one body, now how do I look at having a child who is ill at having to take care of a senile mother at being fired from my job? So koans ask us to look not just at day-to-day situations just for what they are, they also ask us to look at, yeah, but if it's all one body, if it's not just me versus you and it Eve or Wendy or Simran, if we're all one body, now what's the action that's required? That's how I see what it is what a koan is and what it asks of us. And maybe
3: Wendy has something to add to that. Wow, that's really beautiful, Eve. What came up for me as you were talking is so many of these koans that we were able to capture from the lives of people who shared their stories is that moment when you're in a situation, as you described, where... Everything stops, and it may stop for just a second, you know, or it may stop us for a while, (laughs) whatever those time periods are. And we're plunged into a a silence, really a deep silence, and we may not even notice that that has happened, but for people who have been cultivating, cultivating awareness, we do notice that silent moment, that place we go. When we're plunged into what you're calling the universal, that place that where we're all completely, intimately entangled, um, and I use that word in the most beautiful way, uh, but it's, it's going to that place, and for me, the one body is that entanglement. We go to that place where we are really in a place of unknowing, which connects us to um, all of life life itself, right? So we get to examine uh, so many things about ourselves from that point of view, uh, how we're attached, how we're conditioned, how we would like things to be. But it leads us all to what is this moment right now and how are things really, right now. So for me, that's the journey of of a koan um, that I like to explore. It
1: seems that what you're describing is an opportunity for individuals to move from uh, identity to something larger, or from being just in their small self to Uh, seeing life from the bigger picture and perhaps being the bridge between the microcosm and the macrocosm so that even the actions taken in a particular moment all of a sudden would be of a different presence, of a different choice, of perhaps a different emotional intelligence. And even uh, the action could be more from an inspired place rather than just a continual Doing in the moment. Can you speak to any of those points, uh, Wendy or Eve?
2: Well, one way of well, sometimes we say that there's the one body, but there's also the cell. The cell called Eve. The cell called Wendy. The cell called Simran. The cell called the blade of grass. Uh, so we're all selves, and that's really important. We are who we are. And there's, and we have our karma of generations. That's who we are. We can't negate that. You know, we're not trying to transcend what it is to be a human being. And at the same time, there is. There is the one body. And in our regular life, we are so caught up thinking of ourselves as a cell and what's the other cell doing and how are we reacting to each other and what's wrong with that cell? You know, why is that blade of grass brown instead of green? I watered it. What's wrong with that, you know? So that's one level of functioning. And the one body reminds us that there's a whole other level of reality going on all at the same time and now we have to find a way or we're exploring a way to respond in a way that honors the cell me but also honors the one body which is also me and I think that's the bridge Simran that you are referring to Mm, Thank you Eve. Wendy do you have
3: anything that you want to add to that? Yeah, the word that arose to me, uh, Samran, when you were uh posing your point is reverberations. <laughs> that um these cells, as Eve uh so beautifully put it, reverberates, right? Anything that it does, whether it be a thought or uh some more overt physical action speech, all of that reverberates throughout the entire body. So we become more acutely aware of how we affect the one body, right? What the reverberations are of not just our own actions, but others' actions as well. And so we often look at how does this serve? You know, how does my cell, this cell that I am, actually serve not just myself, but the whole whole body, the one body. And because right now I'm looking out my window and seeing uh, the Puget Sound, (laughs) the image of a scallop arises for me. So if we think of the one body also as a scallop, and if you look closely at a scallop, you see that it has, I don't know, hundreds of eyes. Right, all around its body. And each eye uh, is a cell and it accesses information as only it can do as its unique being and feeds it back to the one body. Um, to the point that if a cell, you know, if an eye is lost or a cell is lost, it has a very uh, uh, huge impact uh, on the whole. And that, that's something that in a way is difficult for us to grasp of how huge an impact it is uh, when just one shell is uh, injured or hurt or killed or lost mm-hmm. or whatever um, happens, could happen to it. Um, so this sense of reverberating, right, this kind of intimate connection that we all have, I think is important to consider uh, when we consider these poem stories.
1: When I think about what you're each saying, uh, you know, we live on a planet of of eight billion people now, and so often it's 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 easy to become very self absorbed uh, in terms of what seems important to us individually, or what is our cause, or uh, our fear, or our love in life, and yet there is almost a degree of, I would have to say, positive self-absorption that's required to really embrace the life that we're given from that sense of collective service and belonging that you're speaking of in terms of allowing our life to be uh, that I that also serves the greater whole. Um you present many different kinds of koans in the book, and just so that uh, individuals understand, because it was kind of slightly touched on by Eve in the beginning, can you share what some of the different types of koans are presented? Because they are are commonplace things that we all encounter.
2: Okay, uh, I can do that. So we, you know, we gathered from students various life koans and it's about, you know and it's from the world of work and it's from the world of home relationships with spouses it's from the world of raising children that was such a big one i mean uh, you know, the parents who send koans about raising children sometimes sound like they're at their wits' ends. You know, what do I do? Uh, you know, am I doing enough? Am I doing what's best for my children? You know, what happens? She's not home yet. You know, what's happening to her? And we also gathered koans from the world of illness, illness and old age and death, you know, what it is to take care of a parent who has dementia, what it is to confront your own death, you know, what's gonna happen to my body after I die, Uh, even things like blaming God because my parents died early. And then there's finally a section of koans of what we call gates to practice. And by that we mean that something happens, uh, which is just what Wendy was talking about. Something happens and it could be any simple situation, and you're kind of looking at it and 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 suddenly it, it takes you somewhere you didn't thought you didn't think you would go. It's what happened, you know, with uh, somehow almost the column that started it all, a woman talking about how her son, her, her adopted son, called her bitch, you know. And that was such a shock to her. You know, she asked him, please do this or go and do that. And instead of doing that, he called her bitch. Now, ordinarily, you can get angry. You can tell him to go to his room. You can take away his phone. You can do all those things. But in her case, she just stopped. She didn't react. She went into a different consciousness, a different awareness, like the one Wendy described. And she was just with that it's almost as if something else was coming out of her, a different way of looking at this situation rather than just saying, I'm your mother. How dare you talk to me like that? You see, something else was being asked of her. So that last section lists these different koans, which for us are all gates to practice. There are invitations to become intimate with the situation and see where that takes you. Am I right, Wendy?
1: I'm going to actually pause right there for a commercial break. Zen Koans arose in the Tang Dynasty in China in the 7th to 10th centuries in the shape of spontaneous dialogues between teachers and students, almost all male monks. Later in the Song Dynasty, they were gathered into written collections and with great license put into literary form with additions of pointers, commentaries, verses, and commentaries on the verses. Koans became literary devices, and koan literature became almost as broad and detailed as jurisprudence. It is commonplace now to describe any difficult situation or edge as koan. A life situation becomes a koan when it has jolted you out of your usual linear way of thinking— out of the dualistic observer-observed modality that we're so conditioned to use. It becomes koan practice when you no longer think about the situation, but instead close the gap between the subject and the object, between yourself and what you're facing. This is from the book household uh, the book of householder cohen's waking up in the land of attachments by marco and Nakal, and you can go to each of their websites to find out more about what they do uh, eve marco's website is eve marco.com and wendy Nakal's website is zcla.org we'll be right back after these messages with more information on the book of householder cohen's
0: Discovering the heart and stepping into conscious living. 1111 Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. 1111mag.com.
4: Do you want more? More joy? More abundance? More power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships? more empowered community, greater fulfillment, and life purpose. The 1111 Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides, and supports transformation. Shift your mind, expand your heart, deepen insights, let go, and chart a new course. Dream a new dream. The 1111 Mastermind Community is an online portal for personal transformation and soulful expansion. Go to courses.1111mag.com. That's courses.1111mag.com. Change begins with you. Let it be simple, convenient, and transformative. The time is now. Step through the 1111 gateway. Courses.1111mag.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed.
1: Welcome back. Before we dive back into the conversation on Householder Cohen's, I want to let you know about a special offer for 1111 Talk Radio listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash 11. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, Dot com forward slash eleven and you spell out the word eleven. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. This is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online, and there is a broad range of expertise available, which might not be in your local area. The service is available for people worldwide, and you get to log into your account anytime, send messages to your counselor, get timely and thoughtful responses, plus you can schedule weekly or video phone sessions so you never have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with someone that's perfect for you. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches, so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling, and financial aid is available. Again, that special offer is 10% off your first month at BetterHelp.com forward slash 11. Spell out the word 11. BetterHelp wants you to start living a happier life today. Visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily. You can join the 1 million people taking charge of their mental health and help with an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they're recruiting an additional Additional counselors in all 50 states. Once again, that's betterhelp.com forward slash 11. When working with koans, searching for an answer or solution by using our rational mind or usual way of thinking gets us nowhere. Koans demand that we forge into ways of seeing and responding that have nothing to do with analysis or even reflection and everything to do with spontaneity, playfulness, imagination, patience, and most important, a radical acceptance of life as it is. Uh, My guests, again, are Eve Marco and Wendy Nakau, and they are sharing their wonderful new book, The Book of Householder Coens, Waking Up in the Land of Attachments. Welcome back. Uh, Wendy, I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, You're also uh, welcome to respond to the prior question that uh, Eve had responded to, but how do we make modern everyday life situations a Cohen practice based on some of the Coens that Eve had shared in the last segment?
3: Yes, that was our question to ourselves as we (laughs) wrote this book, Um, but just to respond first to uh, Eve's question, Uh, in addition to the situations she described uh, that were submitted to us, there are also a lot of, um, well, not a lot of, but some very sweet cons, you know, situations um, that are not problematic or uh, startle us uh, in a painful true pain or struggle. But just the sweetness of our everyday encounters uh, can also put us in this uh, unknowing place, or a very connected place. And one in particular that comes to mind uh, is uh, the con about um, the son who is crying uh, when he hears his mother talking to her chickens and singing to her chickens as she's collecting uh, their eggs. And a workman is there fixing the windows of their house and listening to uh, the woman collecting eggs and talking to her kitchen puts him back in a place where his mother did that. And so he starts to cry at the memory of that. And her young son seeing this interaction and the man saying, you know, when I hear your mother do that, it reminds me of my mother. And so the young boy starts to cry. And when she enters her house, she says, well, why are you crying? She sees that the workman is crying and says, well, why are you crying? You're crying too. And he explains to her um, how that's come about. So it's also moments like that in our lives, which are really very sweet. Um, and we could easily dismiss, perhaps. You know, as this like just sweet, nice moment. But in fact, right there, right is the is a kernel of uh, very intimate connection with the one body, with with other people. So I think those kinds of koans also, to me, working on the book was very deeply affecting. So your question uh, was what uh, what makes a colon a koan, or how do we work with our life situation as a koan? Yes, to make it a practice because it's
1: sounding as if these mm-hmm. moments of stillness or silence kind of arise where, perhaps there is an elevated experience of consciousness. So it's is is it is it that someone is really immersing within their experience that they're having, or is it almost as if there is uh, uh, an opening in the moment that becomes timeless, where everything just stops and and you hold that space for that time period?
3: Well, you know, it's all of the above in a way. I think that as we live our lives with a particular kind of awareness, which we may not even be aware of (laughs) if we are living it, with uh, an ever uh, sharper sense of awareness, that as we immerse ourselves in living a life that way, and that comes through practice and intention, of course, that we are more likely to resonate with moments like these. Now, on the other hand, we could not be all that aware in living our lives, and suddenly we are thrust into a situation, as you described. So that would be one kind of entry point. But another kind of entry point is, for, is the cultivation of moment-to-moment awareness. You know, like an everyday awareness. We're just uh, living a life where we're more attuned And we're constantly um, fine-tuning or adjusting that dial. Nothing elaborate, but just a very intimate way of living our life. And so we become more aware of our circumstances and the the relationships that arise out of these circumstances and how they reverberate and connect us, both emanating from us and being received by us. So, from that perspective, every moment is a koan, and from another perspective, just some moments are entered into, in a koan-like way, if that makes sense. Eve, what do you think? You know, I'm thinking of what's happening now with the
2: coronavirus, and uh so that's really something that nobody expected. Uh, I'm not aware of anybody who's re- who by now, a year and a half later, or more, really likes it. I think there were some in the very beginning who kind of welcomed that staying home and the slowing down of the pace. I think by now it's been hard on many people. Uh, but I think that when you work with a koan, it's a little bit of saying yes to life. You know, it's a little bit of saying whatever happens, I'm at the very least going to encounter it with a degree of curiosity, like, oh, what is this? You know, so with this pandemic going on, which has had so many even dire implications for many people, Still, to look at it and say, okay, I understand the implications for my family, for my work, for my friends, for my life, and still, what is this really? What is going on? So when I say saying yes to life, I don't mean that you have to
3: love all all of
2: it, but Come to it with some degree of openness and curiosity and really look at it intimately. And in Wendy's words, see how it reverberates all around. And then what is your position in all that? Where is your place in all this huge resonance of the pandemic? Aside from just what's happening to you, what else is going on? But that question of how I work with a koan, I think necessitates a kind of openness to every situation that comes up, at the very least, just to look at it and say, oh, so what is this really? Mm. We live in in such
1: a destination-based culture where we're constantly looking to get somewhere or complete something. And certainly the period that we've been going through and are still in has gotten a lot of individuals to slow down, but it's also created a level of anxiety as to what's next or what do I do now or do I really want the life that I had or how do I change to a completely new life. And within the book, you write, spiritual teachers say that fundamentally we are complete and whole just as we are, and yet there seems to be something missing, and the pain of something missing propels us on the spiritual quest for completion. Can you talk about what it means to be a circle of completion based on the uh, philosophy of the Zen masters?
2: Yeah, I think Wendy should answer that. I think that's a core. Uh, she worked with yeah. with one of our students.
3: I did work on that koan, and um, yeah, in the way the pandemic is forcing us into that question, isn't it? Uh, the circumstances of it. Uh, and I, I just, before I go into the circle of completion, I just wanted to reflect on what both of you were just saying. Um, my experience has been for myself and the Zen students that I have been in close communication with since the pandemic. Um, is The pandemic has um, uh, caused so many people to just sit down and look at, uh, and by I say sit down, I don't mean actually physically sit down, although that's the case for some of them, but to really sit down into the circumstances of the pandemic and to really question what is important to me in this life. And I think people have gone to a whole other place with that question. It's become more urgent uh, for a lot of the people that I'm uh, in communication with. So this koan, the Circle of Completion, um, is a very profound koan for me. It was given to me by a very uh, close friend of mine who is actually one of my priests who has recently passed away. Um, and he, as the Cohen describes, had a lifelong search for a mother he never knew, and his mother had died before he was two years old. But this something missing was very physical for him, and he spent so many years in this trying to somehow, uh, come to peace with this loss, and, um... Uh, Fill the hole, as he described it, this hole that he felt that made him feel so incomplete as a human being. And it was, it was quite a struggle. And, uh, one day, just out of the blue, uh, 70 years after her death, her ashes are sent back to the family. Uh, and, and suddenly there he was holding, you know, the ashes of, uh, this mother whom he never got to, to know in life. So, he his sense of incompletion was so acute and really so painful uh, to even witness, um, was somehow came to, to peace, came full circle uh, when her ashes were returned. And interestingly, his then-teacher um, gave him the name Circle of Completion, Many many years ago, when he became a, a Zen Buddhist, so it points us to this very fundamental, uh, fundamental being we are. The nature of our being is inherently whole and complete. It is it is the one body, um, and we can't get away from that. We may not know that or understand that, um, but over time, we kind of chip away. At that, for some people, it's an idea. For others, it becomes... So it starts as an idea. For others, it just simply becomes a felt sense of wholeness, um, this sense that there's never anything missing from any of us, although we may, due to our own particular circumstances and condition and well of being, we may feel quite a bit of lack and incompletion. So for me... A big part of spiritual practice or Zen practice is about allowing myself to sit in a completion, however I may define it, but just sort of sit in a in the completion that I already am, and let that come forward and uh, embrace me and teach me and direct me in my life, if that makes sense. Eve, what do you say?
2: Yeah, and I would even go further. Very often, at least in my experience, the very places which we think are incomplete, let's say, you know, I didn't get this and this from my parents when I grew up, or, you know, I was abused, or we were very poor, and because of this, I don't feel complete. I don't feel I'll ever be successful. I won't be a good mother. I it's very often those pieces that become, in our words, our dharma. So it's almost like it's the very areas where sometimes we think we lack. That, as we practice with it and as we come to peace with it, we actually become creative with it. And that can become our gift to the world. There's a sensitivity that comes out of that. There's a special caring, a special kind of love that might come out of it that I may not have had if I didn't have the past I did. And then I then take that and make that a gift to the world. So it's not just that, yes, we have the circle of completion, but then years later we look back on the very things we were embarrassed about or that we thought were the sources of our incompletion, and we say, wow, wow, look what a wonderful thing that actually was, or it turned out to be, because look what that prompted me to do, and look at what path that put me on. Cohen's demand that we forge into
1: ways of seeing and responding that have nothing to do with analysis or even (laughs) reflection, and everything to do with spontaneity, playfulness, imagination, patience, and most important, a radical acceptance of life as it is. Instead of contemplating the circumstance of your life, you plunge into the very sound, smell, taste, and feel of it, and you stay with that in the face of temptation to back away into the safer zone, of observation and commentary. Stories and feelings will probably swirl in the beginning, as they usually do when we first start to meditate, but eventually, with patience and steadfastness, a different kind of realization dawns, arising from the very marrow of things rather than from the superficial mind. This is from the book, the Book of Householder Cohen's Waking Up in the Land of Attachments by Marco and Nakau. You can find out more about both of them at their websites, which are listed in the bio description. You can go to evemarco.com or zcla.org to learn more about Eve and Wendy. Definitely pick up your copy of The Book of Householder Cohen's uh, when you get a chance, and we'll be right back after this commercial break.
4: Want more, more joy, more abundance, more power and presence? How would it feel to have more loving relationships, more empowered community, greater fulfillment and life purpose? The Eleven Eleven Mastermind Community inspires, empowers, guides and supports transformation
0: Discovering the heart and stepping into conscious living. Eleven Eleven Magazine. Order now at www.1111mag.com. One 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 MAG.com. It's your world. Motivate, change, succeed. Voice America Empowerment.com.
1: I definitely want to invite you to take a look at the latest issue of 1111 Magazine. Uh, The digital issues are always up for free at 1111mag.com. It is an opportunity for me to share with you other amazing individuals sharing their light and information in the world, in addition to expressing my own gifts of creativity and writing to you that hopefully support you on your journey. The most mundane tasks given attention become sacred. Putting diapers on a parent can become a sacrament, even if your mind and heart are elsewhere, even if they still dwell in old angers and resentments. Your hands are already beginning the work, cleaning and dressing, ministering to your parents' old and tired bodies. One day you sit on the edge of the tub, letting go of old thoughts and recollections. Pay attention to the business of changing diapers and realize that the work of healing has already begun. This is from the book, of Householder Cohen's Waking Up in the Land of Attachments by Eve Marco and Wendy Nacal. Uh, I want to go back, Wendy, and talk to you a little bit about uh, something you mentioned. You mentioned uh, a friend of yours, a master that had passed away. And in the book, it does talk about, there was a beautiful writing that said, a life and death is the life of the Buddha. Every activity and circumstance of your life, no matter how painful, is the life of a Buddha. And that is speaking to the many different experiences we have and the births and deaths and rebirths that we continuously have over the lifetime, that each one is that life as opposed to uh, simply the entire life trying to emulate the life of, of, of the Buddha. Is
3: that correct? Yes, each moment. Each moment is the life of the Buddha. Yeah, so we could conceive, uh, I think, I don't know where it appears in the book, but there's a place in there where we t- we talk about uh, the different ways that life and death are uh, thought about. So the three ways, uh, there are many ways, of course, but we're looking at three in particular. And one of them would be what I call the conventional. We were born on a certain day and living our lives and we'll die on a particular day. And another way would be the spiritual uh Birth and death, when we suddenly become aware of a different way of living or a different dimension of life that we had not previously been aware of. So that's a, like a rebirthing in, in the moment, uh, where our old understanding dies away and we're now in a, in a, accessing life in a different way. And then you have the birth and death of each moment, as we say. Um, and for those of us who are Zen practitioners, we're especially interested in that, or I should say that becomes really vivid, just very vivid to us, so that whatever is arising and passing away momentarily, whatever a moment is, I mean, who can measure uh, any of these things, is what we become acutely sensitive to and aware of and actually define. Um, the kind of openness we have and receptivity, receptivity that we have, and the relationship that we have, right? We begin to see how life is really um, takes place in the spaces between us or the spaces between moments, right? Because it's really about this relationality that becomes important, and we just become more acutely aware of it. And that we call the life of the Buddha as opposed to a historical person, that we may be trying to emulate. But, you know, who is the Buddha? Whose life is this, right? So it keeps situating us in the very life we're living in the context of the one body.
1: Well, as we look hey, at what he thinks. Before you respond, because I'd love for you to expound on what I'm about to ask, which is related. As we look at what's happened in the world and we look at the many things that individuals are having to let go of, in a sense, having to. Uh, experience a death of, in addition to uh, individuals or more awareness around mental health or around illness or around actual physical death, you write in the book, falling apart may also be good, that when we fall apart, so do the mental and emotional constructs with which we experience the world. Can you tie together those threads about uh, permission for us to fall apart and how that's also part of that process of
2: birth, di- death, rebirth. You know, we uh, we try so hard to hold it all together. Uh, men, women, it's like we've got it all worked out, and it's all a done deal. You can depend on it. I'm never going to lose it. That's a huge thing for us, Um and especially in our fairly individual culture, you know, that sense of I'm very independent, so I'm not even going to need help. I'll, You know, I'm okay. And so to actually uh, let go of that, let go of that need to hold it all together, that's a huge relief. You know, when my husband died, you know, almost three years ago, I mean, I, I was uh, I was a pretty uh, independent person, I thought, but it's like I just couldn't hold it together. I was in shock first, and I found, you know, my whole identity, which, you know, a lot of it was around him. You know, you're the person who is married to someone. You're the person who is taking care of someone. In his case, he was sick before he died. You're the one who does this and this. All of these just go out the window. You know, and you experience what it is that you've just lost it. All these threads are gone. And, and you are in that space. And for me, that was a very powerful space to be in. It was a space of enormous surrender to what happened, to a life ending, and at the same time, a life continuing. And, at the, you know, there's all, every day is a rebirth. But I was just completely without that sense of I have to hold it together anymore. And I remember that that was a huge relief. I didn't get upset at myself. I didn't second guess how I was feeling. I didn't wonder why am I not stronger and tougher It just went, you know, and and to this very day, you know, I know I did things, but I don't actually even have a memory of exactly what it is I did or, you know, and I thought that was a very powerful time. And I feel that now with the coronavirus, also so many things we thought we were gonna do in our plans and our dreams and our ideas and our all that stuff, so much of it has collapsed. And even though I'm very aware of the terrible implications of that for many people, I also see it as an opportunity to really rest there for the while we're supposed to rest there. And look slowly at what is emerging. What is coming up? Who is this person who started at the coronavirus or, and now a year and a half, two years later? Who is that now? What is this world now? In order to come to that, we sometimes have to let go. We have to let go of the old identification, let it collapse, and uh and see what comes up,
3: see what comes up. what do you think, Wendy? huh yeah, I was as you were talking i the question that arose to me is, what is holding me? You know that when we do let go of all those things or they're taken from us, it crumbles, whatever we've constructed simply crumbles and it as it will inevitably do um, I come back to. Uh, What is holding? What is holding me, really? What is is that visceral place that I go? No, that's completely wrong, what I just said, because I don't go anywhere. (laughs) It's like when you're in free fall and inevitably you land somewhere, right? (laughs) Something comes forward to meet me is my experience, and to be able to just rest in that. I love that you use the word rest because it is a restful place even if the circumstances are completely chaotic. Right? So I very much have that, that feeling. Um how one gets to that place is very individual, I think in particular to how a person what a person is made up of uh and what kind of uh practice they may be having, what kind of spiritual practice they may be having, or such an experience can just arise out of the blue, to, uh, for example, when we are in a situation that has been so devastating and so jarring that there is no choice but to let yourself land wherever it is you're landing. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's the image that comes up for me.
2: Yeah, and I will just add what you just said. Really, you you're, know, when you're, you, I think we're conditioned to think that we have to do everything, okay? I'm going to go there. I have a destination. I have something to show, to achieve. When you're just resting, that's when you notice how much is coming towards you, really. It's just even now I'm sitting here and I'm looking out, and if I can just stop, what I really will notice is how much the leaves are just waving towards me. And, you know, and the water that we had so much of last night is kind of draining, sort of draining towards me. I think we're going to have a flood in the basement. But it's like things are coming to you all the time. And if I can just rest, something, life is coming. Life hasn't stopped. Life is coming. And can I just... See that? Can I just be open to that and look at that?
3: I appreciate both of you feel that it's it's that receptivity, right? That we learn to live um, in in that arms open, arms open kind of receptivity. You know, we're looking at life. Let's say in your situation, looking at the trees and the leaves and the rain and. The trees and the leaves and the rain are looking at you, too. It's like such an amazing kind of intimacy that, that um, is there, is here. <laughs> I appreciate what both of you have said, and, and particularly
1: that you shared your thoughts around uh, your grief. Because I, f- I have found from my own personal experience, it feels to me, um, through my own intimate experience of grief, that that is a special and sacred doorway into relaxing into oneself, relaxing into life, and and that that utter surrender uh, that does take place. It's almost as if it washes the eyes clean in a way to see the world differently than than what was before, and even a sense of aloneness or loneliness or silence and stillness and all of the communication that exists. In the world, it kind of all converges in that point to realize that we are everything and everything is us. Can you talk a little bit about moving through grief, uh, especially at this particular time, um, and rising above that so that we respond from that bigger interdependent place of serving the collective as opposed to dropping down into uh, what makes us so just separate and individual. And we only have a couple of minutes left of the show, so uh, it will be kind of wind-up comments that, that I'd ask you to share at this
2: time. I'll just say quickly, and then I'll just yield to Wendy. You said, Simran, how do we get kind of a, a forget, a, above it or something like that? And I, I don't see that I have to transcend grief, I don't have to see that I have to rise above anything. I think the mo and I also have to don't go down, you know, but more, the moment has everything for me. I don't have to rise above it. The moment has all of life there for me. Whatever message I need to learn, whatever I need to hear and to, you know, is is right there. I, I can I can trust it and I trust myself in that moment. Uh Wendy, do you want to say something to that?
3: Well it's a wonderful summary, Steve. And <laughs> um, you know, uh your comments made me reflect back on one of the columns in the book, uh, the infinite Black abyss, uh, from a person named Enju who lost her young son. Uh uh, who, who died uh, on an airplane crash. with was one of the big crashes in the United States. He was being flown home alone, and uh, the plane encountered bad weather, and he died. So when she relayed this story, I put that in-quote story, I don't want to dismiss it as a story, but when she relayed this to me, I really sat a long time with how to honor the sacredness of her experience and of this loss. And um, so for me, grief has that kind of sacredness, really. Uh, It's something we live through, um, and I think the living through is what Eve is really pointing to, that um, we don't have to get past it or arise above it, but simply how does one live through This experience, um, uh, um, how how do do I do that, right, if the question even arises when we're in the midst of it? Thank you so much,
1: Eve and Wendy. We're at the end of the show, and they're signaling me, so I'm going to have to close out. A new journey begins and ends in a flash, followed by another journey and another one after that, because each moment you die and are reborn. Change is perpetual, but so is connection. We breathe in air and breathe it out again, and the air we breathe out, others in the room breathe in, while we breathe in the air they just expelled. So much connects us all of the time. This is from the book of Householder Cohen's Waking Up in the Land of Attachments by Eve Marco and Wendy Nakau. Go to the 1111 radio show page under the bio descriptions and you will find both of their websites, evemarco.com and zcla.org. Thank you both for being on the show and sharing your information. I am Simran, and until next week, in love, of love, with love, and as love, be well.